Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is Deb Crow, and this week you're in for an absolute treat. I have a colleague who I also call a friend joining us from Nashville. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. Chris Keaton is a Nashville-based entertainment industry executive. He's an award-winning music publisher. He's an artist management consultant, and he also has been inducted into the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame in 2016. You're going to learn a lot of other fun facts about him, but he's also a little bit of a fashionista. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How are you, Deb? I am so good. It's so good to have you back on the show again. And I, I love I love looking at how you live life, how you love life. You love people. And there's just so much we have to talk about. I can't believe it's been a couple of years. Crazy. I know it. Time just goes slipping past, doesn't it? It certainly does, my friend. So I've got some leadership questions for you today because you live life as a heart-centered leader. So here is my first question for you. Okay. As an entertainment executive, what do you feel is the most important asset that you bring to your leadership? Two. There are two things. Humility. Um, even though I'm trying to guide people in the business, I am just a navigator and I have to be humble in order to be a good navigator. Um, the other thing is honesty. I mean, if I don't believe that an artist is as good as I say they are, then they're not. And I'm wasting my time and their time too. Um, being an artist, it's difficult for them because they have, they all have very fragile uh, egos, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with that because there, there isn't. That's what makes them an exceptional artist. But as they get better, or no, let me back up, as they get more notoriety, the people around them are afraid to say no, or that's wrong, or mm, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Um, so consequently, if they don't have someone being honest to them and not like nasty in front of other people going, are you kidding me? I can't believe you did that. But you know, you do need people doing that. You need people around you who will tell you the truth. So honesty and humility, I think are the two biggest things. Those are two character traits, absolutely to being heart centered. And I think, it's the only way to be in any in any leadership role, regardless of the sector. So kudos to you for being honest, because sometimes that's always not easy to do. Thank you. 
My second question, and all my guests get this on the podcast, because we are in, we are titled imperfect. What imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership? Oh gosh, what, what um well there are a lot. I mean there are <laughs> there are quite a lot. I mean I have had I have had a lot of not unsuccess, if you will. They're not failures because I learned from them, but I've had a lot of unsuccess. So there are times when I start to second guess myself, but you know, like you and I have talked about in the past, um, I do tend to lead with my heart. And when I do that, everything seems to turn out. The other thing is, um, if I can just remember to stay out of my own way, I do all right. But a lot of times I tend to get in my own way. Um, I also tend sometimes to not follow the rule of you got two ears and one mouth, use them accordingly. And so, you know, I've got a few foibles and fallacies that, that I should keep a little more hidden than I do. Well, I think being heart-centered allows you to have that openness and that vulnerability. But like you said, I think we all can say we get in our own way and it's the ability to recognize it and get out of our own way to allow us to keep falling forward, if you will, and keeping the eye on the prize at the end of the tunnel, which is progression, not perfection. So I think a lot of people will agree with you that that's something we all do. You know, it's interesting that you say that too, because I have that, that exact conversation with every artist I work with is it's not about winning the game. It's about moving forward and making progress on every next project. When you get to the point where you either think this is the best I can ever do. I can't ever beat that. Or you, you put out a project that is not your best and not as good as the one prior in your own mind, then it's time to, to reassess. There's always time to reassess. Indeed. Good point. You know, some of us reassess ourselves every other minute of every day. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. When you're an entrepreneur or a multipreneur like you are, you can do that. And, and that's the beauty of being your own boss. And there's nothing wrong with assessing and, and reassessing. Now, my third question leads nicely into what we're talking about. So I know that you wear a lot of different hats in Nashville and with the hub of your skills being business acumen, what is your favorite role in business today? Well, first, let me say, I like the, the analogy of the hats, but with hair as fabulous as mine is, and you can attest to that because you've seen it. I can never wear a hat. I just can't do it. I mean, to hide this beautiful white platinum silver fox hair. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just can't be done. So anyway, please repeat the question because I got, see, I got in my own way. See? It's okay. That's why I love this. It's called imperfect. We have time. <laughs> So you wear a lot of different hats in Nashville, no pun intended, and the hub of your skills are around business acumen. What is your favorite role in business today? Introducing people to one another, connecting people. 
Um, I have been told over and over and over, and now it has been proven to me without a shadow of a doubt that one of my better skills, if not my best skill, is working a run and introducing Joe X to Ralph B and connecting them, letting them get into a conversation when they're comfortable, I move on. Or if, if Joe is my guest, I take him to the next person. Well, you know, during this last little period of time when we're not allowed to go out without masks, and even when we do, we can't be in a group of more than 10 to 25 people. It's not been the best of times for me to be able to do the best things that I can do. But it's working out. I'm finding other things to do. Well, I think we're networking, Chris. We're just doing it in a different way. Uh, there's still that level of connectivity. It's just virtual now. And we're not shaking hands. We're, we're elbowing our high fives or gesturing. Yeah. And, and like you said, the mask makes it hard because even though we're smiling behind the mask, it, it's hard to see. So yeah. it is a different time, but I believe we're all adaptable. And I think with our heart-centered leadership, we'll carry that skill into the new, whatever that unfolds and, and allows it to be for us. So very, very good. I agree. Let me just throw one other quick thing in there too, because you kind of brought it up. You know, the, the, the pivoting of skills and trying to find new ways to do the same thing in my role as a men's stylist, one of the things that I have been able to do is I'm able to measure people for suits or measure people for shirts and that sort of thing. Well, in this time period, I'm not allowed to get that close. So most of my colleagues in the businesses go, I'm really sorry, I can't measure you. And then they walk off. I, on the other hand, look at them and go, who's with you? And they go, well, my wife or my girlfriend or my friend, I'm go, Great, bring them over here. I'm gonna teach them a new skill right now. So I'm showing people how to know how to be measured for a shirt or a suit. So it's just a pivot, right? I like to call it, and I did a post on this today actually. I like to say, how about we drink a new pop? And pop stands for the power of possibility. <laughs> So instead of seeing a barrier, you're like, hey, let's transfer a skill. You can be next to him or her because you're in their bubble with COVID. And I'm going to be the voice over here six feet away with the mask on telling you what to do. And you give me the numbers. Brilliant. It works. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Now, my last question is, share with the listeners how you felt when you were inducted into the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame in 2016. And share a little bit about this story of such a great achievement and I'm sure a memory that you hold near and dear to your heart. I do, and thank you, thank you, thank you for asking. First, I never saw it coming. The band which I was inducted into the Hall of Fame with is called the Band of Oz. I played in that band 30, almost 40 years ago. When I was with the band, they allowed me to arrange and produce a song that became their biggest single still today. They get, they get more plays on this song than any other. And it's a, it's a remake of Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz. 
Band of Oz, Wizard of Oz. So there's the connection. Well, when I was with that band, to me, even though it was fun, it was really, I sort of looked at it like a job. I didn't really think it was the best band I had ever been in. But it turns out it was for a couple of different reasons. One, I never thought about the joy that we as musicians were bringing to the audience every single night we played. That didn't hit me till about 45 days before the induction ceremony. And then I thought, you know what? I have so many people to thank. So I did blog posts for 40 days of, of, of basically 40 plus different people who had helped me along the way to, to get you know, into that path of being in the Hall of Fame. So there was a, an incredible amount of humility, an incredible amount of, I can't believe I get to do this. How lucky am I to get to do this? And even today, I'm, I still feel that grateful about it. That band still exists. They still play a couple hundred dates a year. I have been on cruises with them the last three years as a featured entertainer, and it was great fun. Um, so it was an amazing experience that, that, that I haven't stopped feeling the joy of. And I don't think I ever will because anytime I mention it to somebody, it's like, they're like, wow, that's cool. So anyway, quite fun. Thank you for well, asking. Well, I know you're cool. So you've just well, gone up the cool meter like another level, right? Yes. Actually, we're going to go up one more level because I'm throwing in another question because, okay. because I can do that because it's my show. Now, I know you have a love of fashion and we joke about it. And ZZ Top wrote a song about it that every girl's crazy about a sharp dressed man. I know you love fashion. Our listeners will be pleased to know that even though you're an entertainment executive, you like to hang out part-time at Macy's and work for them because you love fashion. It's not a hobby for you. It's not a lifestyle. It is a heart-led passion. And I know you just did a new book called Dapper, so do tell. Well, you know, thank you. Yes, the whole Macy's thing is, is a very happy accident. I, a few years back, had received a letter from an, a health insurance company, which shall remain nameless, but they canceled my health insurance because it canceled everybody in the state of Tennessee who had uh, an individual business. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So anytime I'm in that position of, I don't know what I'm going to do, I go buy a suit or a shirt. So I happened to be in Macy's buying a suit because I knew it would make me feel better. <laughs> and I, yeah, yo, you laugh now. Wait a minute. So I told the manager that I said, well, you ought to come to work with us. I'm like, I don't know. What could I do here? And he said, well, you could sell a bunch of suits. And I'm like, I don't know. And, and he said, well, you know, the discounts you get. And I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, you get, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we can help you cover your health insurance, but the discounts you get like a 50% discount. I'm like, sign me up right now. I'm in. So, I started working at the local Macy's in Nashville. And I say local, it's a pretty big store. It's one of the top 100 stores in the country. Within a short period of time, 
I was doing on-camera videos for Macy's. I'm actually on Macy's.com and going back to the measuring for suits. If you click on Macy's.com, click on men's suits and tuxedos, watch the video button, ta-da, I show up. So one thing has led to another. Now I'm also a spokesperson for them on a national level on the Macy's style crew. So, you know, interestingly enough, Deb, my, my stage now is not with the Band of Oz or any of the bands I was in before. It's the fashion world. And so I get to do it. So, yes, so I do have a new book out. It's called Dapper. Uh, it's been a long time in the making, but it, it essentially started with me making up these quotes from a, from a bogus or a pretend human being who called himself politeness, man. And I would go, you know, a gentleman always holds the door for ladies or a gentleman would never dream of kicking an ice cube under the refrigerator. He always picks it up. Just, you know, silly stuff. Some of it's real, some of it's not. Well, before I knew it, after posting them on Facebook, I had about 400 of them. So somebody said, well, you should write a book. So tried once, didn't work. Tried a second time, didn't work. I met a photographer two years ago. He hired me to do a session with him. After the session, we got to talking. And he said, well, what else you got going on? I said, well, I got this book idea. And I explained it to him. He said, I'm in. I will shoot the photographs. So that led to us doing the book Dapper. It was originally going to be called Be Dapper Like Me. And if you look on the cover of the book, when you see it, we're on the 40th floor of the 505 building in downtown Nashville. He suggests to me, let's just call it Dapper. And after him holding me over the, the railing of the 40th floor by my ankles, I, I told him that was a great idea. No, I'm kidding about that. That's a lie. But so the book is a colorful etiquette primer for gentlemen and ladies colorful not only in the beauty of the, the the written word and the nice photography from keith charles but also there's a little colorful language in there from time to time too because you know i just can't help myself well i'm excited to get a copy in my hands because you sent me the digital copy and it's it's stunning and i i think you've got your modeling debut I think it's a whole new, I think it's a whole new modality for you. So look out world, here it comes. Here it comes. Now I'm going to switch over to my fab four. So four questions coming your way, whatever is on the top of your head. First question, favorite clothing designer and why? Easy, Giorgio Armani, because he didn't decide he wanted to be a designer till he was 40 years old. He's 80 plus now, looks fabulous, but, but what he doesn't know, he may, but he may hear this podcast, you never know, is that as fabulous as he looks, I'm going to look even more fabulous when I'm 80. So there you go, Giorgio Armani. Okay, second question. This place is on my bucket list. And I think I'm going to go there with you. I'm going to put that out there right now. Okay. That best memory from the Bluebird Cafe. Oh, gosh. Um, 
Two. I, can I have two? Okay, one. Can I have two? Okay, one. The second week that I was living in Nashville, I'm at the Bluebird Cafe, and I look over, and two seats over from me is Rodney Crowell, who is a hit songwriter, a great country artist, and a great record producer. We sort of exchanged hellos, and that was about it. Fast forward three years, I discovered an artist in New Orleans, and I was working for Barbara Orbison, Roy's widow. And she asked me to send some songs over to Rodney for his wife, Claudia Church. Well, in the stack of tapes that I sent over, I sent <laughs> The, uh, the demo from this artist of mine who I'd found. Rodney called our office the very next day and he says, tell me about this tape right here. And I was aghast. I thought, this is it. I'm going to lose my job because I wasn't supposed to pitch that, blah, blah, blah. And, and I told him a little bit about it. He said, I want to meet this guy. I want to produce his first record. And he did. So from meeting him at the Bluebird to that, journey and now we're still we're still very good friends that's one the other one is there's a girl named becca bramlett whose mom and dad were um uh doyle and bonnie bramlett who had uh, uh no, sorry delaney bramlett delaney and bonnie bramlett had a band in the 70s she's their daughter she sang a song one night called broken that was written by Chaz Sanford, who wrote songs for Stevie Nicks, John Waite, all these hit songwriters. To this day, whenever I think about her delivering that lyric, I just tear up because it was such a beautiful moment. Now, there's also a third one. I got to share this. So on that TV show, Nashville, here's where they really blew it. They really, really, really blew it. First off, it wasn't really the Bluebird was the setting. It was, you know, they had to rebuild it because there there's not room in the Bluebird to have cameras and such. But in one of the episodes, first off, for the listeners who don't know, when you're at the Bluebird Cafe, it is a listening room, and you are not allowed to talk to one another. The, the way the servers will come over to you and go, shh, if you're talking. That's like a big deal. The Nashville TV show. One of the scenes is in the Bluebird. Two people standing at the bar having a conversation while the artist is playing. I'm thinking, up, oh, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Never. Never did they have somebody come over and go, shh, but it would have been so fabulous. Anyway, that's my bluebird stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, my third question is, what is the best advice you ever received from your parents? Never surrender. And it was given to me in a lot of different ways, but my mother continues to tell me, you know, you, you never, a dream won't come, a dream, you never lose a dream until you either give up or ignore it. You know, she's 89 and she rocks. I love, I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Wise words. Yeah. And my last question, Chris Keaton, what do you want your legacy to be? Chris Keaton, whatever happened to that guy? No, but I mean, that's my, uh, 
actually, I'll tell you, it's a really nasty thing, but uh, an idea I had for, for a podcast at one time, and I may still do it, but um, you know what I want my legacy to be is that I was a good dad and I was a good guy. And in between the two of the, actually three, I was a good dad. I was an adequate husband because I had my downfalls there and that I was a good guy. If I can leave more good than bad when I'm gone, I win. Oh, I think you're going to win, my friend. And I also know that you will go out in fashion and in style and with grace and and be looking dapper. Thank you. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I am going to get to Nashville one of these days. And I'm hiring you as my private tour guide. And we will go to the Bluebird Cafe because we can. We will, and we will have a blast. But when we're at the Bluebird, we will keep our lips closed. We will. Thank you for your time. Congratulations on your new book. And I look forward to a future conversation with you. Deb, thank you very much. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention his name. Our, our mutual friend, Mike Greenlee, I want to thank him for introducing me to you. And thank you for your friendship and May God continue to richly bless you every single breath of every single day. Thank you. And I like to end my podcast with my list of five things that I believe help us live a purposeful life. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thanks for joining me once again on Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast.